Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be part of this episode of A100 Storycast, a new podcast series which gives members of the MMM Agency 100 list an opportunity to expound on what sets them apart. In this episode, we're focusing on the agency Avant Healthcare and drilling down into the agency's unique ecosystem approach to meaningful and effective engagement with healthcare professionals. And I'm delighted to be joined by Avant's CEO, Arun Devakaruni. Arun, how are you? And welcome to MMM Storycast. I'm doing great. Thanks, Mark, for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. You know, we've written much about at MMM how the pandemic impacted industry's ability to connect to and communicate with the healthcare professional. And, you know, we know that COVID-19 changed everything for everybody. But tell me from your point of view, Arun, how has COVID affected the way you communicate from your agency's perspective with HCPs? Yeah, that's a great question. Obviously, the pandemic has completely upended a lot of the ways that we deliver healthcare, both in the acute setting, you know, for with folks who have gone to the hospital with, with uh, COVID and COVID-related symptoms, but then also with how people have perhaps avoided or changed their own uh, medical care as a, as a result to, you know, being in the, in the hospital itself. So what I would say, and I think what we've observed is that the information that HCPs are getting and the way that we communicate to them has not necessarily changed in terms of substance, but has been, has fundamentally been changed in terms of the channels of which they receive it. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the examples I think is the gold standard of, of medical communication has been the peer-reviewed journal. And during the, the pandemic, you know, we've seen a fair amount of quick publications of data that was being generated in real time. And you know, that has its pluses and its minuses, right? So for one, we can get information to doctors quicker than ever. At the second, you know, the, on the on the opposite side of that, uh, is that information truly been vetted through the standard scientific processes? And um, you know that that's sort of one way where I think you've seen things operate on opposite sides of, of of the spectrum of medical education. At the same time, we've also seen tremendous upticks in the social channels that doctors are using to receive information. So. Platforms like Doximity, like Figure One, like Hippocrates, things that deliver information in real time to physicians are areas where we at Avant have taken a lot of interest, uh, a lot of investment, and a lot of time in ensuring that doctors can get the information that they need in platforms that are best suited to their, you know, unfortunately, uh, very demanding workday. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really nice way that you you laid out the changes there, not in terms of substance, but in terms of channels. And, uh, you know, when, when was the last time you saw, you know, two doctors during a medical conference, you know, engaging in social media about a data point, you know, or a study, you know, that, that, that phenomenon has really, you know, taken off the last couple of years, yeah, uh, obviously I, with the, you know, the pivot from medical conferences from live to, to digital. And sure. And I, and I would think that, you know, maybe actually over the course of the last seven to eight years, we've seen a lot of physicians embrace channels like 
you know, t- Twitter is a great example. We'll see what what happens with Twitter in the in the months to come. But there, I think you had a much more academic and broader conversation. So you had physicians who were, you know, at a conference who are live tweeting an event to try to bring it to their colleagues who may or may not have been there. And then you have a, an academic conversation around, you know, a particular data point, what a study means, what its particular impact is. And that was a kind of nice to have, right? It, it supplemented the overall conversation that was happening around science and medicine. I think what COVID did and the, the impact of COVID to medical practice made these channels a must have. And it allowed them to give information in real time to people who are treating similar conditions to their own. And that just, it goes very well beyond infectious disease. And I think the actually the acute, the acute treatment of, of COVID-19 and its related symptoms. But you had, you know, folks who were avoiding medical care because they didn't want to be in the hospital. And I can't blame, I mean, myself included, and I'm sure you, Mark, you know, if we think back like 18 months ago, the hospital was kind of a scary place to be. Like, why would you want to go to a an institution where you know that there are people um, who are sick and then you may, you know, um, not only contract it for yourself, but bring it home for, for your family. So I think what we'll see is, is the impacts of this, not only in the few months to come, but manifest in, in many different ways from avoiding mammograms and other cancer screenings to perhaps putting or delaying a visit to check on a certain chronic condition like Crohn's or another gastrointestinal disease or something like that. So I think what we'll see is that not only will has care been fundamentally changed for the last and the administration of care for the, for the next you know, 10 to 10 years or so, but then also the information of, of how doctors are, um, are, are dealing with those changes and then how they're sharing how new medicines and new procedures and new approaches can perhaps even correct or account for those changes in the way that we consume healthcare in the United States. Certainly. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about peer review journals and, you know, we had heard in the last several years about, you know, the oftentimes the slowness of, you know, medical information as it percolates through the traditional academic and peer reviewed channels. And, sure. you know, the last couple of years, we've sort of had the emergence of med, med archive and these, you know, prior to peer reviewed releases of papers. You know, we just reported on one last week about, you know, the growth of telemedicine um, in in certain, you know, disadvantaged communities. But, you know, you have to read that with a caveat. But as you said, information is getting to docs more quickly than ever. So so what, if anything, I think it's a good segue to the next question. What, if anything, remains the same today as it was before COVID regarding HCP engagement? So for one, I think the, the most important thing is, at least in my opinion, is uh, authenticity and credibility as it relates to what you're trying to say. Um, That can't change. That has to be paramount because it's quintessential to to patient care. Unfortunately, doctors don't have the time to vet by themselves every single piece of information that comes across their way, just in the same way that we consume news and other media. We have to have trusted sources. We have to have uh, 
credible places that we can draw information from. So I think that that will remain a constant. To your point, it is kind of ironic in the sense that science is moving so quickly. Now think about even just the development of the of the COVID vaccine and what's happening in a number of different areas like oncology and virology, rare diseases. The science is moving very, very fast. And I think it's up to us as medical educators and communicators and marketers to be able to develop channels that are moving just as fast as the science to give doctors that credible information. Because if we don't, then time becomes the limiting reagent. Time becomes the factor that prevents a patient from receiving the medicine that they need, the care that they need, the procedure that they need to ultimately save or improve the quality of their life. And so it is a difficult challenge for folks in in our position, in your position, right, as, as industry observers, to push us and the entire industry to be able to deliver authenticity and credibility in new and different ways. And I would also say to, you know, our current clients and our prospective clients, it's an area where I think being being progressive is a smart risk to take. Because if we don't, then there is a human cost to it. Sure. Whenever the we've we've seen, you know, in the past where the flow of critical medical education information is interrupted, uh, yeah. then lives are certainly at stake. And, and that was certainly said in March of 2020 that, you know, we need to find a way to turn that funnel back on. And I think that's why sure. we saw all those, you know, the stage left, you know, to, to digital. But um, the authenticity and the credibility of what you're trying to say is certainly uh, that resonates. You know, that's that remains the same today versus two years ago versus 10 or, or 50 years ago. And, and I, that, would, I would say, Mark, not to not to, to interrupt, but I, I would also say is that even before the, the advent of all of these channels, the industry, when it's faced with, you know, really important advances, and I'm thinking about the development of, uh, you know, medicines against uh, HER2 positive breast cancer. That's an area where things have just flipped flipped very quickly, right? And you know the development of 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 her two targeted medicines for metastatic breast cancer have saved tens of thousands of lives over the years to cut the risk of cancer related death in, the, in that particular disease by ten thousand people a year has over the course of the lifetime of these medicines have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. So if we could do that as an industry before the advent of Twitter and Sermo and Doximity and all of this sort of stuff, why can't we do it now? And we should be doing more of that now. And I think that's a, that's an area where we at Avant are very focused on how we can make sure that we're delivering authentic and credible uh, information because we were able to do it before when <laughs> we had... Uh, rotary phones and journals. Why can't we do it now when we have smartphones and lightning speed internet? You know, it, it's uh, it's not outside of uh, our capability and and our will to do so. Sure, sure. And you, as the agency, and we as marketers, have to come up with marketing channels, as you put it, that move at the same speed. You know, as as the rest of medicine is moving today, and it's moving faster. So, you know, let's talk about 
the approach that you take to engaging HCPs these days. Sure. You know, you mentioned that we're kind of past, we're kind of in the HCP professional social media 2.0. You know, we, we've seen the emergence of, of CERMO and Doximity, yeah. certainly, you know, healthcare Twitter or physician Twitter, whatever you want to call it, you know, the big influencers that are there. So given all of that and the way doctors information mix has changed and their sources of clinical information are, are, are in flux. What are the critical aspects of today's approach to HCP engagement that you leverage as you build uh, a new brand strategy? Sure. Um, and that's a, that's a good question. It's a complicated question. I'm going to try to be brief. If I'm not, please cut me off because it's a, it, it, it's a, a, a big pill to, to sort of swallow. But, you know, I do think that if we look back to maybe the traditional archetypes that are have been taught in, in business schools for generations around, you know, developing awareness and ultimate trial and use of a particular product, whether or not it's a, a hamburger to, you know, uh, gene therapy for a rare disease, the fundamentals of the principles remain, at least in my mind, very similar. And so... What we have to do is a, a better job of matching the, the type of message, the desired action uh, to the channel that people are consuming it in. A good example is uh, direct-to-consumer advertising for, for medicines. You know, there's two countries in the, in the world that allow it here in the United States, and then I believe New Zealand, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, Arun Devakaruni at, at avanthc.com, please send me a correction. But I, I do think that I think I think that's sort of the area where, you know, we can create a fun tongue in cheek types of you know catchy tunes that will that will allow people to understand that there is a new product on the, on the on the market, one that addresses a particular need, what the benefits are, what generally the risks are, and that will allow someone to understand that like okay maybe there's something new I could I should consider now. Once you start to get to the point of like, is this medicine right for me? Then there's a bunch of different channels where I think things become a little bit more complicated. How does a doctor have a conversation with another physician who is either part of the clinical trial, who has used this medicine before to have a deep and engaging and authentic conversation about what type of patient is the right one for this particular, uh, this particular medicine? Likewise, you know, as you get into point of care, um, are there ways that we're making sure that doctors have that information at their fingertips, on their on their phones, at their iPads, at their computers, where they can really sort of look at their patient's particular medical history, match it up against, you know, what the uh, the risk benefit profile of a of a particular drug could be, and see if it's a good fit, and then ultimately, as it gets administered in the pharmacy, are there any other things that the patient didn't even mention, right? Like maybe they're on a particular blood pressure medicine or a cholesterol medicine or something else where there could be a drug-drug interaction. And, and how does that information get to the pharmacist to sort of say either like, hey, this thing is the right thing or I'm going to you know raise a red flag. So as we sort of walk down you know, the canonical, I guess, marketing sort of funnel, are we being the providers of information to give healthcare professionals the right type of information at the right time in order to ultimately serve the patient. Moreover, when you look at all of these sort of uh, different areas of how we're talking to, to physicians 
and we're talking to healthcare professionals, are we really telling the story of what, you know, a, a medicine can, can really do and how they can, you know, change uh, a patient's life? You know, we, we are, and rightfully, you know, a heavily regulated industry. And what are the ways that we're exploring uh, direct-to-consumer marketing, uh, promotional medical education, continuing medical education, and then even, you know, areas like in medical affairs where we have true peer-to-peer interaction between doctors at a company and doctors who are prescribing uh uh, prescribing products at the point of patient care. So they, they get a 360 approach to, to what they're doing for the people that they're treating. And I think ultimately, if we can anchor our ethos on making sure that patients have access, not only in terms of affordability, but access in terms to the availability of a new medicine for something that can help particularly serious and life-threatening diseases, then we'll, we as an industry will be in a good spot. Great. And I'm, I'm going to butt in here for a second because you said a 360 approach. Um, sure. And I think that's that really resonates um, today, especially with given everything you said about how doctors information diet, you know, is, is morphing um, of late. And, you know, when you when you marry that up with the need for authenticity and credibility of the message, it really is no no one channel is really going to be the answer. It's more of a three sixty approach, eco, ecosystem approach. So you know, as so so let's talk more about how you mean you preserve that authenticity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of you know we haven't mentioned this yet. Uh, you know, paid sponsors. Yep. Uh, you know, we have we've seen the rise of the digital opinion leader uh, yep. the last couple of years, but you have you know digital influencers. It's not, and it's not always possible to, you know, for the clinician, the busy clinician to kind of discern, okay, who's a, who's paid, who's not paid. How do you preserve the authenticity of pharma brand voices to better resonate with your target audience amidst this, uh, this heady mix uh, of, um, of, of paid sponsors and digital influencers? That's a, that's a really great question. And I think the answer may be somewhat unsatisfying because uh, I don't think that there is a, uh, a magic formula to it. I think what we can do is learn from other people who are doing very similar things to us, um, but maybe doing them in very different spaces. And so, you know, I think a, a good example is what's happening with like even, uh, you know, this sounds crazy, but quick service restaurants, right? And you have um, uh, advertising campaigns that may you know, raise the awareness of a certain brand. Uh, I'm loving it kind of pops to mind because there's a couple of them down the street from my house. But you also have influencers, whether or not they may be globally recognized Korean pop groups to hip hop artists to, you know, sort of other folks who are driving real engagement with the brand. And irrespective of whether or not they're receiving some level of compensation to it, I do think that the message that they're trying to get across is one that's not only authentic to who they are, but also authentic to the products that the company is creating. And not that I want to be talking about hamburgers and or uh, I think I kept to say nuggets, but as it relates to you know, really important medicines, whether or not they're, you know, gene therapies or they're the next generation of targeted cancer medicines. 
it's important that we follow the standards that we've always sort of followed, where you go to a, you know, uh, a meeting like American Society of Clinical Oncology, the first slide that any presenter will put up is their disclosure slide. And so, you know, it's important that people understand where there may be a potential conflict of interest, but ultimately the one advantage that we have over maybe some of the products and the things that I've talked about before is that it's based in science and should be based in peer reviewed science and based on clinical experience. And so in that sort of way, I think that when we figure out how to work with other individuals who may be evangelists or even detractors of a particular uh, medicine or product, that we have a conversation that's based in fact, and that's based in at least the best evidence that we have today. And luckily for us in a world where perhaps truth gets questioned a little bit more than it should, we have data and information that can help support uh, one opinion or another. And oftentimes, I think as the science moves quickly, we may not have a 100% accurate factual answer, but what we can have is an informed and reasoned conversation uh, that ultimately is focused on what's best for the patient. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that is reassuring, you know, it's, it's not, it's no, you know, rocket science type, uh, you know, change in uh, how we're going to maintain that authenticity. It's, it's, as you yeah. said, falling back on the, making sure that the conversations we're having are based as much as we can on peer reviewed science and clinical experience, whether you're talking to an evangelist or a detractor, that, sure. that, that makes sense. So rocket science isn't a guarantee either. If you've seen Apollo 13, right there, there are plenty of people who had different opinions of how to bring that, put, uh, how to bring that ship back to earth. And uh, eventually we got it right, but everybody was focused on the same goal. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. But can all agree on all that. of those conversations were based in, 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 at least some interpretation of, of generally agreed upon facts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we know that the clinician is super busy today mm-hmm. as ever. And a lot of them have voiced their opinions. Cer- certainly the studies that we've seen have shown for getting information on demand, you know, at a time that's convenient for them. How are, how do you help HCPs get the information they need, you know, to better treat their, their patients, you know, when they're under such time constraints. You put it on demand. You just you, you answered your own question, right? So think about the way that that we that we consume information or entertainment. And the one thing that you know I think is really important is like you know growing up in a in a family of physicians with a lot of friends that are physicians, they're not different than than you or I, right? Like they when is the last time there was appointment television? Perhaps March Madness, perhaps something something that's live. Everything else is consumed on demand, right? Like, um, you know, from Ozark to Game of Thrones to, you know, all of these sort of things. Doctors watch them just as much as we do. Um, And likewise, when I want to learn about something new and different, I try to find those channels which work with my schedule. And so what we try to do here at Avant, and I think what we've been very, actually very successful at doing, I wouldn't say we, we try, I think we're doing a pretty good job of it is presenting the information that can be didactic in an on-demand sort of way, right? So you watch a presentation about a a new medicine and a new drug. Now that opens up a myriad of different questions. So then what can I do to take that information, 
and the presenter of that information and connect it to the people that are using it. Now, it may sound a bit reductionist, but that's the same thing that's happening in you know, entertainment and other types of information right now, right? You have a show, people watch the show, and then you typically have something that's online uh, where you can live tweet with the actors or talk or ask a particular question and, and, and gain some information about that. I don't think that that's fundamentally different by the way or, or for the way that physicians and other healthcare professionals are consuming information right now. So what our job is as healthcare educators and marketers is to help our clients create those ecosystems for them to do that and then also let other healthcare professionals know that they exist, right? Like there isn't necessarily a, outside of some, maybe some of the big platforms that we've mentioned before, you know, the giant Netflixes or HBO Maxes or, or those sort of things as it relates to these particular subjects. However, that shouldn't prevent us from creating these micro communities that are tailored to the particular patient groups that doctors are specialized in. Sure. Yeah. And we've, we've done a couple of stories, podcasts, et cetera, on that on-demand model, and, and they've been very popular. So I think it's, I think a lot of people are, are thinking about that now, perhaps more seriously than, than they yeah. have in the past. I mean, it's nothing, again, nothing new per se, but the last couple of years kind of sprayed some accelerants, you know, on that trend. Sure. Um, and it's not like everybody's going to stop what they're doing and listen to Mark and Arun have a chat. They're going to listen to it on their own time when they feel like that's something that they're, they're interested in listening to. Absolutely. Right. Definitely. Uh, one last question, Arun, and I'll, I'll let you go. Break out your crystal ball for a second and, and, and tell me what does the future look like for some of the traditional HCP channels uh, that we've been talking about, medical journals, pharma conferences, you know, how do we maintain their relevance in, in a world that's, that's changing uh, and where... Uh, you see new new kind of um, permutations of, of marketing channels popping up all the time. If I was really, really good at that, I would probably be uh, an investment banker. But what I can say is that from what I've seen from and working very closely hand in hand with uh, people who are consuming that information, people who are providing that information is short, medium and long term changes. Uh, I think the the short term thing that we will sort of see very quickly, knock on wood, hoping that case counts stay stay low, is a very quick return to the socialization aspect of of medicine, particularly as it relates to conferences, as it relates to advisory boards, peer to peer education. From now to the next eighteen to twenty four months, we're going to see a return to the Socratic method of education in medicine. That's how it's been developed and how it's been taught for thousands of years. After which, depending on how market circumstances manifest, I think what we're going to see is a lot of hybrid type of education, right? So you'll have people who want to be part of something socially. There will be folks that will be there in person let's say if we take together, uh, for example, a peer-to-peer -peer program, and it's incumbent upon us as agencies to be able to create seamless experiences that not only integrate people who are sitting in our offices like ourselves, 
but also how do we make that work with people who are sitting in a room together? That's a, that's a difficult thing. And I think we're, we're all sort of figuring that out. Um, I'd say at Avant, we're having a lot of success with different types of platforms that we're using, different types of formats and moderators and, and all of that stuff. Um, and, it, and it's going pretty well. And then ultimately, I think in, in the long term, you know, that's when the crystal ball becomes a little bit fuzzy, right? Because, you know, looking out five to six years in the future, uh, nobody would predicted would have predicted where we would be today, five years from now. Um, but what I can say is that the constant that we talked about before for the need for authentic and credible information at a time when doctors have the and HCPs have the time to be able to access it is uh, is still going to be there. The channels may change. Um, you know the. Uh, I don't think that we'll we'll see uh, a lot of uh, maybe robust peer reviewed discussion on TikTok, but we may see something that's very similar to that, right? Like a a video based short type of uh, you know uh, bite sized sort of channel. Um, so that's the job of the I think the agency and good agencies, their job is to help companies meet the demand of their consumers. And that's what we at Avant are, are trying to do. And I think we're being being very successful in doing that is looking to see, you know, we may not be able to predict the, the long-term future, but we're doing a really good job of looking around the corner and helping our clients be there at a time when their consumers and their, their clients and their customers need them to be. So... Uh, that may be an unsatisfactory answer to your question, Mark, but I, I do think that in the in the short and medium term, we'll see a, a bit of a return to where the world used to be. And then in the future, I have to quickly pivot to be where our consumers will want to be, meaning that, like, you know, how can I not only make the demands uh, of my professional life work with demands of my own personal and clinical life? Sure, sure. Well, to that end, as you evolve the HCP engagement model for the evolving commercial model, I hope we can do this again. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Arun. And thank you so much for having me. And um, it's a it's a real honor to be part of uh, the MM and M100. It's something that I think every agency is is that's a part of it is proud to wear as a badge of honor. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm.